Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. All right, I will welcome you to A Minute with Coach Riggs. And it's finally here. We finally did it. The committee has spoken, and we have a list of the top 25 football teams of all time at T.R. Miller. Now, we started with the top 10. We explained that earlier. But we started with the top 10, but we're at top 25 now, which I think is going to work uh, much better. And I have with me David Jennings, who's going to help me as we uh, go through. And we're, Our goal today, David, is to try to do 25 through 21 if we think we can get through that. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll certainly be easy to speak about each of those teams as it will all, all the T.R. Miller football teams. This is a celebration of T.R. Miller football. <laughs> That's right. And um, this has been a pretty much um, a secretive list. In fact, uh, no one really knows the results. The uh, list has been secured in a mayonnaise jar on Zeke Johnson's back porch, and uh, <laughs> no one knows the results, and we're, we're, we're going to divulge them today. So, I've seen twenty one. I've seen twenty one through twenty five, and we're going to read and what's on the paper and uh, elaborate from there. Looking forward to it. Sounds good. And by the way, once we get all this published and everything, if you'll go on a, a Facebook page, a minute with Coach Riggs, and it's attached to my other page. I don't really all understand all that, but anyway, it's it's attached to that. Uh, we're going to have some information, pictures, maybe even some video of some of these football teams so that you can go back and check that and check out some of the guys that were on there. Finally, our goal here is after today, the next episode to be 20 through 11. Although I don't know if we're going to be able to do 10 at one time, but we'll see. Then we'll get to the top 10 and then we're going to do another episode of the best of the rest. So we will see how all that works out. So, and, and finally, David, we want to thank the committee for their hard work and for not quitting when they kind of wanted to quit. It been easy. It could not have been easy. It, it apparently wasn't. Okay, here we go. We're ready. The top 25 T.R. football teams of all time. Number 25 is the 1951 T.R. Miller Tigers. They were coached by Hal White. Their record was 91. The 51 Tigers lost their opening game to Baymanette. And Baymanette had a good team that year. They won seven games that year. In a downpour, they lost that game 25-6. to Then they won nine games in a row. Eight of the teams, eight of their opponents, scored seven points or less. So when, when you're giving up seven points a week, you're going to win a lot of games. The defense gave up only 64 points the entire season. They beat a Neal team that only won one game that year, but they beat Neal 13 to nothing. And the other thing, and this will be an indication of what kind of athletes they had, they won the state Class A 1952 basketball championship that March. Their scoring average, they averaged scoring 22.7 points per game. They gave up 6.4 points a game. 
So the diff their point differential there, they won their games by an average of 16.3 points per game. A few th other things about the 1951 team. Uh, the Montgomery Advertiser had them ranked the number two team in Class A in South Alabama. And during a one six-week period in the middle of the season, all six opponents, they beat by at least 18 points. They operated from the T formation. They had three real difference makers. And, and no matter what you're playing, no matter what classification you're playing, no matter what, if you've got three difference makers, uh, it's going to really help you win games. Uh, those three difference makers were offensive and defensive tackle Billy Long, quarterback Charles Ray McClellan, who was also an outstanding linebacker, and halfback and defensive back Don Smith. Those guys could really go. They could play, and they made a difference on this football team. Another thing that the 51 team could do that a lot of other teams couldn't do is they could throw the football. They probably threw 10 or 11 touchdown passes throughout the year. At one of the ends, they had six foot six. Joe White, so obviously that helped the basketball team that year, but Joe was six foot six, and so they loved to throw little jump passes to him. By the way, his nickname was Red, so they called him Red White. Good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's, that's, that's hard to beat right there. And, of course, they called him Red because he had red hair. Coach, what was the uh, – you, you mentioned the T formation. I, I think I know what it is. I think it's kind of self-explanatory, but if you don't mind – Talk a little bit more in depth about mm -hmm. how that would look from the stands in terms of a formation and how long, what era that was prevalent in. The, the T formation really came about um, in professional football, started it in the nineteen late 1930s. And then by the 40s, there were, there were some teams starting to, in college football, starting to use the T formation. And then – by the 1950s, most of the colleges and a lot of the, most of the high schools are in the T formation. And the thing about the T formation was a little bit different than what had people had been doing up to that point. When you're running single wing and that kind of thing, they called it. You were basically in the shotgun. Okay, everybody's snapping the ball back there to the, to the guy they're calling the tailback. So they're snapping the ball back there in the T formation for the first time. The quarterback went up under the center. And, and not only is he up under the center, but there are three backs in the backfield lined up behind him, a fullback in the middle, a left half and a right half, so they formed a T. That's why they call it T formation. Okay. Most times they had two tight ends. Sometimes they split the left end, leave the right end in tight, or vice versa the other way. Sometimes they could split both ends. Sometimes they might even take the, the left end, put him out wide to the right, leave the right tight end on that side, and get in kind of an unbalanced formation. The thing that made the T formation go is for the first time people run option football. And so what they were doing, David, is they were taking the ball. A uh, quarterback would reverse out. He would put it in the fullback's belly, and they would ride him up inside in there and hand the ball off to him. Then the quarterback would do the same thing, pull the ball out, option the first man to the outside. The, if they were running this play to the right, the right halfback would arc around and and block downfield, all right? The left half back would be the pitch man. And all of a sudden, people are having to defend option football. And so it made it made um, defense just a little bit more difficult. But that's kind of the way the T worked. And, and really, the deal for us that year is we could throw the ball. Charles Ray McClellan was an outstanding quarterback. 
he could run and throw. You hear that today everywhere, don't you? They want people that can run and throw. And so he could do that. He could run the option, pitch the ball, and he could also throw it. So he's got a six-foot-six end to throw to, plus the backside of the backfield were always going out. And they also threw a lot of uh, halfback passes because Don Smith, who was a left halfback, was an outstanding athlete. And so they would use Don to throw passes downfield, halfback passes, and even passes back to the quarterback. Coach, to, to connect some of the uh, dots from a lineage standpoint, Charles Ray McClellan. I played with a Robert McClellan and Roger McClellan. I watched Ray McClellan play. Is there going to be any relation there? Yes, yes, they're all related. In fact, um, in fact, uh, great story about Charles Ray McClellan. Um, so after we built the field house, few you know, two or three months after we got in there, I looked up and everything, and and he's in the building. And he says, "Hey, can I look around? I'd love to look around." I said, "Go." And so, and he literally spent an hour, hour and a half looking at everything on the walls of the field house, and he loved it. And he came in. He says, "I want to ask you a question." I said, "What?" He says. Uh, would you be interested in a 1948 T.R. Miller football jersey? And I said, yes, I would. And he said, well, I stole two of them when I graduated from high school, and I still got them. <laughs> and I said, well, well, now, technically, that's still my jersey. He, he, he said, yeah, but you're only getting one of them. So he brought it to me. And, of course, we had it um, framed and, and, and put up in the field house. But he was a he was a outstanding player and and you know what i've viewed and what i've heard he was as good a linebacker as he was a quarterback and uh which which obviously was a was a big deal and don smith david who played halfback don's brother was bobby smith who later on of course played for miller actually played on this team he was a young player on this team ended up signing the university of alabama he played quarterback at alabama he was uh uh, Bear Bryant's first year in 1958, he was one of the starting quarterbacks at Alabama. And, wow. And their sister was Patsy Jacks, who okay, yeah, taught at yeah. which we know. Yeah. Uh, their family lived on the corner right there yeah. where T.R. Miller High School yeah. is, where the Huddle House is That's today. Right. They uh, sold that property, moved around the corner. And so uh, I used to see, like, Don Smith there once while Don ended up um, – refereeing down in the Mobile, Bowen County area. And so, you know, most years he would call a game of ours. And so I would see him and, and talk to him. So it was, you know, this is probably the best team of the 1950s. I'm pretty sure that it is. Uh, we were coming off a pretty good David 1940s era. Seven of the 10 teams of the 1940s won at least seven games. So the 1940s, when you consider that you went through World War II and all that, and we still had that much success, uh, that was pretty hard to do, and so the forties have been a have been a good deal. This team, one of the biggest wins they had that year was against Georgiana. Georgiana really good that year. They beat Georgiana twenty six to seven. Most people thought they were probably going to lose to Georgiana. They played uh, up there that night. Interestingly enough, Charles Ray McClellan threw a touchdown pass to Don Smith out of the backfield, and Don Smith at halfback threw two touchdown passes to Charles Ray McClellan. That's wow. probably something that's never happened before where a yeah, halfback threw two two touchdown passes to the quarterback. He's probably handing the ball off on a sweep, and then Charles Ray's running around at the end there, 
and Don stopping and throwing the ball back. So some of the uh, the other guys that were on this football team, just to give you an idea, uh, cut some names out, out here. Uh, the fullback was uh, Byron Gibson. Jennings Holland was a lineman. Buddy Evans. Uh, Ralph McClellan was a center. Moy Jones. Uh, Rex Long was um, was an offensive lineman. As we said, Joe White was one of the, the big tight ends. Uh, most of the year, the other tight end was Jerry Kelly. Jerry was a sophomore and later would play in the backfield. But in those days with the ends, they would kind of progress. They would they would play end. And then as they got a little older and faster, they'd move them in the backfield some. But they wanted guys that could catch. And uh, Charles Rowell was a halfback. Lowell Harrison uh, also played in the offensive line. 22 players on this football team. That's all they had. 22. 22, 22 players. Right. Were they, uh, did, we, did we play under the alias Pike County? <laughs> Apparently we did. And, uh, you know, in those days, generally you played you played 11 folks. And they there was some different substitution rules. Sometimes at the end of a quarter they'd substitute somebody, but uh, they didn't play a lot of folks. You went out there and played, and you played pretty much offense and defense all the time. So, But um, we, we have to remember that 1951, there was no paper mill. Uh, this was ah, this. There was ah. no paper mill where people had moved to Bruton. This is before integration. In in the spring of '52, T.R. Miller graduated 28 seniors. Wow. 28 seniors. 22 years later, I graduated in 1974. We graduated 98. The school had grown in size three times. You know by then, and also in in the spring of '52, Neil graduated 63 seniors. They were three times our size. Yeah, so they were they were a much a, a much bigger team. So Miller was a small school in those days. So when you look sometimes that we played some of these smaller cities that we know of today, part of that is simply because of the fact that our population grew. Of course, we brought black and white students together, everybody in 1970. So obviously the school is is, is bigger than it was in those days. Coach, what was the uh? Was there a classification system then? And, and if so, what were we? Yeah, there was classification, but it was classified mostly just basketball. Um, there okay. was there was two classifications. Uh, we were single A and there was double A. Um, but it didn't matter in football because there was no playoffs of any kind. So you played whoever you wanted to play. And there was, you. you know, so there's no region play. There's no that because there's no, no playoff system. Then there wouldn't be a playoff system. Uh, for another 15 or 16 years before they actually got the playoff system started. Just kind of made things we, – we were a Class A team, and uh, but if anybody won a championship of any kind in those days, the newspaper named a championship. So so that that occurred occasionally where the Montgomery Advertiser, somebody would declare a state championship in, in this classification, but that's a lot of schools still – you know, uh, there were only two classifications, so you got you got a lot of schools there. You know, I think Alabama fans can certainly appreciate that. <laughs> right, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> before you before you move away from it, I have to ask this question with regards to Mister McClellan's jersey. The material was it the moisture wicking technology material <laughs> that we enjoy today? Or no, a sir. Different? That thing was one hundred percent cotton. And by the way, it, it is maroon. Shocker. Because it was the 19, sometime down there in the late 50s before we actually started wearing red. We wore we wore maroon jerseys um, because when Ben McLeod came here, 
in the late 1930s, he changed the colors from black and gold to kind of a maroon because he was an, he was an Alabama player. Oh, so he okay. had pl- he had plenty of pull when he decided to change the color of the jerseys. Obviously. Yeah. Interesting stuff. That's good stuff. All right, so the night so the number 25 team of all time is the 1951 TR Miller Tigers. Good team. The uh number 24 Miller football team of all time, the 1973 Tigers. Uh, this team was coached by Frank Cotton. Their record was 10-2. and two. They played in 3A in those days, and there were only four classifications, so we were in the next to the biggest classification. This team uh, lost in the regular season to Andalusia. Andalusia's record that year was 11-1-1. One one. Uh, they played in the state championship game. Uh, we lost to them 14-8 Bruton. Uh, the other loss was to John Carroll in Birmingham in the semifinals of the state playoffs. Uh, John Carroll won the state championship that year with a record of 12-0. and We lost in Birmingham 10 to nothing. This was uh, Frank Cotton's first team as a head coach. He had been an assistant at Miller for seven years. This team beat Neal 35-6 after three straight losses to Neal. In fact, the 73 team is the dividing line on the Miller-Neal series. Prior to 1973, uh, we, in, in the last 15 years, we'd had only victories in 1966 and 1969. Neal had had the better part of the, that series. They had won, I'd have to look it up technically, but they, they'd won like 13 in the last 15 games. When we won in 1973, and as, as everybody remembers, Frank Cotton never lost to Neal. So, Frank, yes, Frank had eight consecutive wins uh, since that time, since 1973. Uh, We've had the better part of that series. So, the 73 team is kind of the dividing line of the the Miller-Neal rivalry. Uh, This team beat Mortimer Jordan 35-12 to in the quarterfinals of the playoffs, uh, played in Bruton. It was very hard to make playoffs in those days. You went by a point system. Going into the Neal game, we knew that uh, if we won the game, that we would make the playoffs. We had known the same thing the year before, and Neil beat us 22 to 6. But the difference in, in 72 and 73 is we got the win in 1973 against Neil and uh, went on to play Mortimer Jordan here and won that game. Um, only one opponent scored more than 14 points on this team. We had an outstanding run defense. Um, our, the scoring averages, uh, we averaged 24.4 points per game. We gave up 8.5 points per game, which is an average of 15.9 is the, the point differential per game. This was the first T.R. Miller team to run the veer, which we would run Frank Cotton's entire career there at Miller. And they were the second T.R. Miller team to make the playoffs. The man loved the veer. The man loved the veer. So, this was my senior year. You're not going to say it, Coach. You're not going to say it, but I will. If there's any more evidence needed that we're not on the committee, this is it because <laughs> this team should this team should be much higher. This team was the one that kind of set the standard for what T.R. Miller football became during my childhood at playing days. I mean, you guys were great. Great. I, I tell you the thing about this team, a couple of things about this team is that um, – our senior class, we had about 25 seniors. We didn't have much size. The size was in the junior class. Steve Billy, Hal Thorne, 
Mike Ryland. You know, we had some guys had a little size up front, but my class wasn't very big. But we had been through a lot. Um, first two years we had been with Matt Wood. Coach Wood toughened us up. If you survived the scout team on Coach Wood, and about 20 of us did survive the whole time. Uh, that toughened us up. We played for Larry Rampey as juniors. Coach Rampey got us in the weight room and worked us and ran us. And then he was killed in a car accident, and Coach Cotton was named the head coach. Well, we had done a bunch of tough stuff and hard stuff, and now we got Frank Cotton as, as our coach as a senior, who was the master motivator. So we were really fortunate from that standpoint in that we were able to have Coach Cotton coach us as a senior. And uh, we were we were a pretty tough outfit. We had a bunch of tough kids. And it, it was one of the things that, um, that really helped us. Um, and we were the first team to run the Veer. Now, in the Houston Veer, offense. It was popular in the early 70s. Um, there was a lot of great things about it. It was a really fast offense. If you had fast people, if you had a quarterback that could run the ball, it was really good. Basically, the quarterback would take the ball, and we'd by that time we'd started doing reads. The quarterback would take the ball. Halfback would dive up, say the guard's rear end. You'd ride him up in there, and he would read the tackle. The tackle tackle the back. He would pull it out and run the option. If he came in, and um, and didn't do that. You handed the ball off. He ran the outside veer, which was a hole wider, which means they're running for the outside leg of the tackle. So so envision this, David. The back line up behind the guard. He's gonna run to the butt of the tackle over there as fast as he can run. The quarterback coming down the line of scrimmage as fast as he can run. And a lot of times they're reading the defensive end. Now, one of the ways that they tried to stop this was to take the defensive end and sent him off the edge and killed anything they could find. <laughs> so, yeah. we're working on this in preseason practice. All right, we're doing this. And I'm standing back there, and I was a running back, and Alan Baker and I were the two running backs, and Doug Norsworthy was our first-team quarterback. And Doug comes back there with somebody else running the play. <clears throat> Doug comes back there and looks at me and says, i tell you one thing about this offense. I said, what's that? He said, this offense could get somebody killed. And I said, I said, yeah, and it looks like me and you could be the first two candidates. And so every once in a while that defensive end came off the edge, he would just layway you. And sometimes they would send him off the edge and say, don't worry about the back. Hit the quarterback. And yeah. all that stuff they teach you now that you don't do, that's what they taught that guy to do, hit that quarterback right yeah, up under right. the chin. So the Veer offense was really explosive because sometimes we'd run by that end. But my goodness, it could be tough on quarterbacks and running backs sometimes. Well, I ran a uh, some, some scout team quarterback at Veer, and I uh, still have some PTSD from it, and it'll probably have some CTE show up a little bit later. Yeah, that was <laughs> what, what a whole lot of fun. Uh, Mike Long also played quarterback on this team. Uh, they alternated some. Uh, Michael's a really good defensive back. Alan Baker and I were the starting running backs. We also had Darnell Culliver, who was a junior. And Bernard Farmer, who was a sophomore, and they alternated in as well. Uh, up front, we had um, Hal Thorne, Charlie Fouts, David Stokes was a center, David Holt was a guard, Mike Ryland was the other tackle. Jack Ryle was a really good player, as it was our was our tight end. This team really lived off of defense, and uh, we had a couple of really good defensive tackles in Steve Billy and Red Gates. A lot of people don't remember Red Gates. 
he was about five foot seven and maybe about 210 or something like that. Great football player. Very difficult to block. They they were kind of the guys that, that led things up there. Jack Rowell played defense. Vinny, again, he was a good player. We had two good senior linebackers and Charlie Fouts and Jack Neal, who was about 210. And uh, Jack would uh, – Jack would light you up. Uh, Alan Baker played rover. Alan was great at defending stuff on the edge. And it said Long and um, uh, Keith Bardwell played in the secondary. We had some, some, just some good competitors. You could make a case for this team, David, that we were the third best team in the state. We lost to the two teams that played state championship games, only two that we lost to. Coach, I think you could make a case that this is the third best team in T.R. Miller's history. <laughs> I mean, this is, this, I, I, I'm really scared how this is going to shake out because y'all were tremendous. And, and when you look at the schedule, and you've already mentioned it, if you go back, and, and I understand that Andalusia has had a resurgence here the last couple of years, and good for them. But this was Andalusia's heyday. They were the team to play and then hopefully beat, or, or more importantly, hopefully you, you survive playing them. This was their heyday. This is the best that teams, that communities ever had. Tough. Am, I wrong, am I wrong in saying that? From 1972 through the end of the 70s, or actually even before that, throughout the entire 70s, but particularly from about 73 on, Andalusia was great. Did they have a 50-game win streak? Yeah, I had a 58-game winning regular season okay. winning streak. Yeah. So you lose by one score to a team that won 58 games in a row, and then you lose in the semifinals to the state championship, and that line and that, and that lands you at the 24 spot. <laughs> Just wait. We got some good teams coming, David. Yeah, I'd say that's a good football team. That's a good football team. And I tell you, you mentioned Red Gates, and that's a name that sometimes doesn't come up in every conversation. I've heard several people talk about how outstanding he was and how tough he was and strong he was at the point of attack. And Coach Wright always talked about Hal Thorne. We lost Hal very early, but he seemed to believe, Coach Wright seemed to believe that uh, Hal Thorne could have been a college football player, like a, like a D1 type player. Yeah, Hal was, Hal was tall. He was oh, probably about 6'2 or something like that and um, and, and fairly lean, but just, just strong. And uh, was just was just a good football player. Could run well enough that he played some linebacker. But you know, one thing that Coach Cotton did when he took over and everything is that he did his best to play as many people as he could. A lot of times he would play people just one way, you know. And there were a few people, obviously, that played both ways. But a lot of guys like 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 I only played on offense. Now that may have been because maybe I tackled like you did. I don't know. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but. But, you know, some of these other guys, a lot of these other guys, like Jack Neal started in the offensive line as a sophomore. Well, as a senior, he never played offense. He played only defense. So Coach was trying to play as many people as he possibly could. And because he did that, you know, he tended to get a lot of people out for football, and we had a lot of people playing football in those days. A couple of questions, Coach, before we leave this team, because I I just love talking about them so much. There's a there's a there's a story out there. I don't know if it's a folk tale or a legend, and it kind of plays off the heels of Coach Bear Bryant's Junction City Boys when he was at Texas A and M. The story goes that y'all went up to that Carroll game on two buses and came back on one because half the team ended up in the hospital that night. Any truth to that? You know that was a pretty wild um, a wild night up there. The week before we played in in the quarterfinal playoffs, I got a concussion. And and I can tell you why I got a concussion because we had decided we we basically ran outside Veer and we called um, to base block it apparently, 
they had jumped in a 5-3 defense, which means there's an outside linebacker and there's nobody there to block him. So basically, he was waiting for me to get the ball. And he lit me up pretty good. So they wouldn't let me play the next week, which I'm not sure that devastated us a whole lot. But it, it did take a little away, a little our speed. I was one of the two or three fastest people on the team. I don't remember a whole lot about that game, except it was a really close <laughs> game. And uh, we did have a couple of people went to the hospital after the game. And uh, we made a mistake up there that night, David, that we never repeated at T.R. Miller. We spent the night at the hotel after the game. Uh, apparently there were some guys who had graduated the year before, year before that, and so forth, who showed up at the same hotel. I heard rumors <laughs> of a, a bathtub full of beer. I don't know if that's true or not true, but I, I heard rumors about all that. But I can tell you this, that when we got back, I heard that Coach Cotton said that we would never spend the night anywhere again after the game, and to this day, as far as I know, we haven't. You, you live and learn. You live and you learn. Let me ask you this, Coach. Also, y'all also a close game to Andalusia in the regular season, and, of course, they were going to be in the finals. Was there a, a feeling amongst the team or in the locker room that if y'all got another piece of Andalusia that it was going to go our way, or was it – I mean, that ain't even discussed. I know you, don't, you never look ahead. I'm just thinking if you saw it out there – you're probably chomping the bit to get one more piece of them since you lost a tough, a tough one earlier in the year. We recognize John Carroll had been like top of the polls, everything all year. They'd been waxing every piece. So we everybody kind of knew that they were they were really good. We knew Andalusia was really good, but we knew we could play with them. It was, in fact, the next week, um, John Carroll beat Andalusia pretty good. I mean, they beat yeah. them like thirty something to six or something like that okay. the next week. Okay. So I think that just shows you a little bit about how good we were defensively. Yeah, that we yeah. could. We held them in there. And had we been able to do anything offensively that night, you know, we'd had a chance to win that game up there. But we, we played really great up there that night. Just wasn't quite able to to pull that off. But, um, but uh, again, uh, this is one of those Miller teams, a lot like a lot of Frank's teams, played on emotion, played really hard all the time. And, uh, you know, so it was, a, it was a great football team. Did y'all have the moisture-wicking technology jerseys that we enjoy today? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> no sir they had come out with um some of that a uh, mesh looking stuff though you know that had yeah. little bitty holes in it that was much better than those old cotton jerseys i can guarantee that they gave yeah. me a cotton jersey to wear as a practice jersey like when i was in like the 10th grade and you could go out there and it'd be like 80 degrees or something and you could literally pass out i mean <laughs> i mean <laughs> And they were long sleeve, David. They were long sleeve. They weren't even short sleeve. Now everybody's hollering, "Give me some scissors so we can cut this, the sleeves off this thing." Who, who thought that was a good idea? I mean, how, how do you come up with a long sleeve football jersey? They had them left over from the '60s, and so uh, we didn't waste anything back in those days. You know, they're they're selling that stuff, and I'm sure, I'm sure we got a deal on it because I'll tell you this: when it comes to money. Frank Cotton was about as tight as Coach Mike Sasser was. <laughs> well, that's, that, that is amazing. Yes. That is amazing to hear. And, and and I know this for a fact. I know this is true. That there would be times, like before a game, they would come in and, and, and they told Coach Cotton, Coach, we're, we need some tape. And he would, he would call. In those days, they bought all their sporting goods from the Atmore office and school supplies. And he would call Atmore, and I, I, I'm telling you, I heard this. I know this is true. 
he told them we needed some tape to bring us four rolls of tape. So. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So anyway, you know, we, we had money, you know, I mean, man, you know, in those days they, they were, we were, we were saving our money and all that. You know, it was just a, a different time. It was a fun time to play football there. Uh, the 73 team was a, was, was one of those teams that um, sometimes we forget a little about, but it, I, I have great memories of that and had a lot of great teammates. Great football team. No doubt. All right, we're ready to go to number twenty-three. You ready? Yes, sir. All right, I'm, uh, I'm gonna call it out. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you t- talk about this one. All right, the the number twenty-three T.R. Miller football team of all time, the two thousand twenty-two T.R. Miller Tigers. Good football team. Of course, last year, Coach Brent Hubbard, the T.R. Miller Tigers, going ten and two, lost an early game. I think it was uh week two, maybe week three, down at UMS. UMS, of course, won the Giants and, you know, South Alabama football. I was down there for that game. Actually, that was the first game I made last year and stood on the sidelines. And we played them off their feet. Uh, they were a little bigger, a little stronger, not by much, but a good UMS football team. Carol Miller played really hard. I thought we had a good showing loss down there. And then, of course, lost in the playoffs to uh, Hanley. But uh, between those two games, uh Played some really good football. I'm trying to get my notes pulled up in front of me, especially we did, especially you know, with run stopping. And we did a good yeah. that night down at UMS. And UMS had a kid uh, that is going to South Alabama, who I thought was a phenomenal player. I yeah. His name escapes me, but he was a really, really good football player. Ran the forward lean, all state. We handled him. We matched up with him pretty well. But a great run defense last year. Um, the Hanley, the kid from Hanley had, had a little bit of success against us. Of course, he did sign with Clemson uh, late, later in the spring, so uh, no shame in that one. Um, beat Jackson 32-29. to 29, uh, Had a lot of good football players on last year's team. It was probably the Bell Cows, probably Miles Johnson. Uh, he was a – Miles was a sophomore this past season. He played wow. linebacker, played running back. His uncle – was Bay Bay, and of course his daddy was Antonio Johnson, both great uh, football players at T.R. Miller, great uh, lineage, bloodline there. He kind of led us in terms of production. And Nathan Commander, also a sophomore, uh, was our quarterback. He was QB1, can really spin it. A gifted passer, uh, a good field general out there. They kind of led the, led the uh, offensive attack for the Tigers. And we talked about the defense and the numbers they put up. Um, Brother Peace was was an all-state defensive back honorable mention. Uh, played well. Brother Peace, you know, a little uh, slender in his physical build, but if you watched him, was very productive. He was one of those kids that could always line up. He was always going to do his job. He was always going to be in place, and he had good ball skills. You know, a lot of people are, are, are good athletes and good players, but when the ball goes in the goes up in the air. The game gets too fast for him. Yeah. It seemed like with Brother Peace, it slowed down. You know, he, he would he could control his breathing. He could high point the football. Really, really good player. And I think more than anything, I, I think he kind of epitomized what T-Yard Miller football has been about traditionally through the years. Didn't play a whole lot as a sophomore. Didn't play a whole lot as a junior. I think it would have been very easy to get discouraged when you talk about the workouts and the practices and it not you know uh, relaying into, into playing time on Friday night. But he bided his time. He stayed in there. He hung in there with it. And as a senior, uh, had an outstanding year. You know, just mentioned he was honorable mention all state. Uh, I think he had seven or eight interceptions, scored a couple of touchdowns as a wide receiver. So there's a lot to be said for just hanging in there. And I think that's what T.R. Miller players have done for the most part, you know, throughout the years. He is certainly not the only one that's kind of had that journey. 
but he's one of the most recent ones. Um, Markel Nicholson was an outstanding offensive lineman. He's a, he was a senior. And when you kind of think about a left tackle, you kind of get in your mind what it's supposed to look like. Well, Markel was that. He was 6'4", 265, a uh, good knee bender, moved his feet, didn't give up a whole lot from that left side. When there was pass protection breakdowns or whether we were stymied on, on, a, on a running play, it was very rarely on the left side. Uh, uh, protected uh, commander's backside uh, exceptionally well. And I don't know if you know this, not our coach. He signed a wrestling scholarship with Colorado State. How about he that? Heavy, he, he was in the heavyweight division, of course. And uh, to hear Coach Hubbard talk about him, loved it. You know, got exposed to it, I think, by Coach Carpenter a couple of years ago. Yeah. Obviously had no formal training at all. This is one of the newer sports that's come on the scene at T.R. Miller and just took to it. Loved it. I mean, loved it. Obviously excelled on it. Had a couple of offers. Had some football offers. But he chose. He chose wrestling over football. And, and you would know this probably better than me. The skill sets, you know, kind of match up. You yeah. understand leverage and you understand quickness and you understand hand placement. It's easy to understand that if you're a good wrestler, you could be a good football player. And the fact that he excelled at both is not surprising and certainly excited about following him in the years to come at Colorado State. And then another, you know, just the, the epitome of a tear tiger on that defense, uh, uh, Sam Kelly. Sam, Sam Kelly was, was an outside linebacker. I think he made second team All-State maybe. Yeah. Uh, probably a little undersized to play the position he played, but was outstanding. Uh, on a side note, this has nothing to do with football. Last night at Miller Cruz Field, we had senior night. Uh, the last regular season game, we are in the playoffs, by the way, but last regular season game, he hits a walk-off home run off the gym against Op in the bottom of the eighth. And I thought, you know, what a tremendous memory for he and his teammates. And his oh, family. yeah, absolutely. But Sam Kelly, uh, he was fun to watch. He's one of those that, when you put your seven dollars up at the ticket ticket booth, you're going to watch him a handful of plays, if not more, because of, of the effort and the desire he played with, and he was just, he was outstanding uh, in the return game. Uh, he played some receiver, also runs he ran extremely well, uh, and, and then of course probably the unspoken leader, the unquestioned leader on the football team, Adam White. Adam White was voted a uh, team captain by his peers. Um, came off a very tough knee injury, played linebacker, played some defensive end. They wanted to play more at offensive lineman. On the offensive line, they were trying to protect him, you know, coming off yeah. that knee injury. But Adam White was a physical, physical football player. And prior to his prior to his injury, was probably playing as a high level as any linebacker in recent history at T.R. Miller. But Adam White, you know, was, was a good T.R. Miller uh, uh, Tiger football player. But the team has had a lot of success. Um, they uh, we, we, we talked about uh, some of the things they did defensively. Offensively was explosive at times as well. Um had a the beat link here. I'm trying to I'm trying to look here, Coach. Uh, scoring average thirty three point six points a game. Gave up thirteen point three points a game. So that was a twenty point three points per game differential, which is uh, probably going to match up with, with most really, teams or, or, or surpass most teams. Twenty points is really good. Twenty yeah, points that, is really good. That's a big number. And over the last twenty years, I think thirteen point three was the second best defense. So uh, this team certainly had credentials. Certainly had the players. Uh, they 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 were a good one. I'm glad to see them on the list. I wasn't sure if they were going to get mentioned just because they were so recent. And I'm glad that the committee chose to look at the total body of work and give everybody equal consideration because they were really good. And, and Coach Hubbard and his staff did a tremendous job with them. Well, I think David, two or three things about this year's team. One, the development of Miles Johnson as a breakaway running threat. You know, last year. We had a good football team, but it took us 10 or 12 plays to score every time. 
we didn't have somebody that could go the distance. Uh, this year, he showed that he could do that. Now he's he's making 15, 60 yard runs. That was extremely helpful to give us a little bit more explosion, you know, for our offense. This was a really good team that defended run, particularly too. And in the league we're in, a lot of people line up in the shotgun, but they're not necessarily throwing it all the time. You still got to be able to defend the run, and we could do that this year. And I thought that, you know, they played Adam down a good bit this year. And I thought that when they put him there, it really added some team speed to us because he could move around even after his after his injury and all. He could move around, and I thought that was one of the things that was critical. And then, then the development of the quarterback um, throughout yep. the year. And I, and I think from the beginning of the year, you know, obviously he had some things happen to him tough in the UMS game, but then he turned around, and I thought the response to the UMS loss was critical for this team. And, Joey, and we mentioned it, if, if, if those listening in called it, I said Miles Johnson, a sophomore, Nathan Commander, a sophomore. So both of those are due to be back next year. So the 2023 team is going to have a, a couple of key important pieces in place with a lot of young talent around him. So uh, I don't think I don't think the bar is fixing to come down any lower anytime soon. All right. Very good. So, so far, the number 25 team is the 1951 Miller Tigers. The number 24 team is the 1973 Miller Tigers. And the number 23 team is the 2022 T.R. Miller football team. So we're ready now to go to number 22. The number 22 team of all time. David, I'm going to let you do this. Okay. Is this, and I'm, I'm looking at my notes, yeah. Coach, is this going to be the 1977? Yes, it is. Okay. This is going to be an easy team for me to talk about. These were my first set of heroes. And uh, the 1977 football team, they were just – they they were gods to me. I mean, when you talk about being coached once again by, by by Coach Cotton, who was an icon in our community back in those days, they had a nine and one record. This was back. There was four classifications, and Coach, you correct me if I'm wrong. We were three a nine right. and one, nine and one. We lose to Atmore, and we're out. You beat everybody else. You demolish everybody else. Nine and one. The only loss came to Atmore, twenty one to nothing, as I just mentioned. Um, beat Greenville. Who was eight and two, beat them twenty to zero, beat Op, who finished eight and two, beat them fifteen thirteen, beat Neil twenty to nine. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute. Pretty good clip you shared with me a little earlier in the week. Did not uh did not make the playoffs as we mentioned. Uh, the lost at more cash just in on that deal. But uh the the scoring average offensively was twenty seven point eight points a game. We ran the veer. Coach Cotton's a coach. Of course we did. Defensively, we gave up 12.9 points a game for a differential of 14.9 points per game, which is still a solid number. That, that's still pretty impressive in and of itself. Beat Pensacola. This is kind of funny. Beat Pensacola Catholic 60 to 30. If you'd have told me before all this started that T.R. Miller ever scored 60 points running the veer <laughs> under Coach Cotton, I would have bet my life. That never happened. But that night with Catholic, it did. Randall Mallard and Reggie Brown combined for 362 yards rushing, and those were two of the greatest players to ever play at T.R. Miller, in my opinion. Love both of them. Uh, let's see. Tigers had 450 yards rushing that night. Let's see. Mallard. David, did you check the passing statistics for that game for T.R. Miller? 
Well, I'm trying to get to it. Okay. The, uh, Let me go ahead and give it to you. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. We we completed we completed zero <laughs> passes, um, primarily because we had zero attempts for zero yards. <laughs> Ground and pound, baby. Ground and pound. There was a had a few headaches over. Dow Altman, of course, was the bell cow on defense. He was an all stater. Had fourteen tackles that night, eight assists. Uh, and I'm sure not a couple of people in the next week as well. As he did that on the regular quarterback, Walter Lewis and Mark Harrison, kind of a, uh, a platoon situation there. Walter Lewis, of course, went on to be one of the greatest players in not only high school, uh, uh Terry Miller history, but the university of Alabama as well, uh, starting there under coach Bryant, a couple of years later, Reggie Brown, uh, ran for a thousand yards in 10 games. Randall Mallard was a senior, Chris Griffin, uh, Chris Griffin doesn't get mentioned a whole lot with a really good terrible football player. He was. he was. Chris is, uh, you know, soft-spoken, uh, you know, kind of just kind of goes about his business. Chris Griffin was a gritty football player, really good. Kenny Prestridge and, of course, Walter Broughton, the speedster, uh, probably the first. Maybe Mallard was the first real sprinter, but Broughton was faster than him, and he had borderline world-class speed back in the day and, of course, played in the NFL several years later. All-state recognition that year. Dow Altman, Reggie Brown, and the before-mentioned uh, Randall Mallard. By so, the way, David, just in case, you know, you didn't know this, Walter Broughton rarely touched the ball. Brown and Mallard <laughs> are getting it all the time. Yeah, and even the time. And, and look at – so, so you got sitting over there, you know, Chris Griffin, Prestridge, who ended up being a really good – now the next year, you know, he was a good, really yeah. good runner. And, yeah. and and Walter Broughton, every once in a while, they'd stick one of them in there for just a second, but they didn't leave them in there long before they – because they, they, they couldn't bear to take these other two guys out. There are a lot of people, and we're going to – I think there's a, a plan mm. on later podcasts to talk about individual positions and the players that played those positions in our school's <laughs> history. There are a number of people, a number of qualified people, who think Reggie Brown might be the best player to ever play at T.R. Miller. I'm not saying he is, not saying he isn't. But he was certainly he's certainly in the conversation. He was he was Earl Campbell. Uh, he was one of those guys who who God just gave an incredible body to. He was sculpted. He was big. He was fast. He was mean. He was strong. He was he was unreal. Reggie Brown, in addition to playing running back, played nose guard. Mm-hmm. He, he played stand up nose stand guard. Up nose guard. Stand up nose guard. Now Frank Cotton loved to stand up nose guard. And this is just an interesting the way people look at things and what they believe. Coach Cotton's primarily a defensive coach now, right? So he put Reggie at nose guard. Reggie was like a heavyweight fighter at nose guard. You know, those centers those days can't put their hands on him now. So he'd right. come out there and just kind of slap the center, you know, out of the way <laughs> with a right, kind of step over here and then jump back inside and, and make the play. But they, play, they ran a 5-3 defense. Man coverage, and the nose guard is Reggie Brown, and the middle linebacker is Dow Altman. I'm just telling you, they caused some havoc. Now, they would take Reggie out and rest him a little bit every once in a while. You talking about the center of a defense being tough, uh, that's, that's two incredible players. Oh uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, they're just outstanding. And like I said, the nine and one record speaks for itself. And like so many of our tier one hundred teams in that era, you know, with the classification set up the way it was, 
I don't know what we, we played at more in those days. When I was coming along, it was usually week three, four, or five, somewhere in the in the first half of the season. But it would be tough to know you lost an early game, and unless a miracle happened, the playoffs weren't going to be an option for you. Yeah. And for that team to go nine and one, I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of good football players on that team. So, My uh, goodness. So also on this team, uh, some awfully good football players. All right. Ronnie Grady. Steve yes. White, some outstanding linemen. Um, Steve White. Um, Scott Huff played. Uh, he was a junior that played uh, outside linebacker. Um, Rick Minshew was a big big guy that played up front some. Michael Rosemore played tight end. Um, uh, and, of course, we couldn't forget Dwayne Baggett. Oh, yeah. He would let us. Who – and, and I, I don't mean this – this is going to sound bad, but I, I, I don't know exactly how to describe this. This football team had, I want to use the term we used in the 70s a lot, had some lunatics on it. I'm talking about some <laughs> crazy, wild people. And they played football that way, and Coach Cotton warned them to play that way. And they were just nuts. And like Dwayne Baggett would play like safety. And he's, he's covering the tight end, except he never really paid that much attention to covering him most of the time because all he wanted to do is kill somebody. They would run a sweep or something, and he is 100 miles an hour. And they would cut back on him. He acted like he didn't even care because he just wanted to kill a guy. And if you're gutless enough to cut back on me, somebody else will make the tackle. But yeah. he, he flew 100 miles an hour you know, after everything. Uh, uh, Chris Griffin was a really good – outside linebacker he could tackle he was smart he was tough and um, had a huge play against neil where he intercepted pass ran back for a touchdown and mm -hmm. another thing about the defense this year that that really helped this team okay i know i've messed up some things as a coach but i could tell walter lewis is a sophomore and he needs to play quarterback the year yeah. before mark harrison had played quarterback they weathered that transition, and Mark Harrison, they moved him to defensive end, and he had a tremendous year at defensive end. Mark could, you know, he was tough. He was smart. Um, you know, if his job was containing the quarterback, he's going to contain the quarterback. I just thought that year that he played, particularly at the end of the year, he did a really good job of them playing defensive end. This group just kind of came together. At times, this group was just dominant. Oh, they were they just were. dominant. Another th there, there are a couple things I always think about when I think about the 77 team. That summer, I went up one day and decided, hey, I'm going to go to practice. You know, I was fixing to be a senior in college, Alabama, and this was, you know, August, and I'm fixing to leave go to school. So I said, I'm going to go up there and just, just say I'm going to watch them practice one day. So I go up there. When it started lightning or something, they put them in the gym. And so I went in there for just a few minutes and watched them in the gym. And my first thought was, this football team doesn't look like the 1973 football team I played on. They had some <laughs> men, yeah, some men playing, and it was it was it was pretty obvious. There was a difference between me running the outside there and Reggie Brown running the outside there. <laughs> well, Not that I couldn't run over you now, but <laughs> I think you used the right word earlier, lunatics. I mean, when, when I played, when I was coming through as a safety, you mentioned the tall sleeve and how Baggett would fly up in there. 
Coach Baker always used the term, your responsibility is Allie Hard to the strong side. Free right. safety has Allie Hard on the sweep. And he referenced Dwayne Baggett. Baggett and I, I don't know if yeah. that's Baggett's responsibility in their defense or not. And like you mentioned, he wasn't real worried about covering anybody. He was worried about knocking somebody in the next week. Absolutely. And he did it often. He did it often. Absolutely. So that's one of the things I always think about. One of the other things I think about with them is if you ever see any pictures or anything, and we'll have some, they wore tearaway jerseys. And and yeah, in the veer, yeah. they're always grabbing your jersey. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's pieces of jersey everywhere. And yep. and their and their shoulder pads were always flapping. Yep. You know, yep. it was just one of the things that said they finally outlawed tearaway jerseys. But uh, we were a believer in that. And the other thing I always think about this team, I managed to make one game that year, and it was the Neil game. There are a couple things I'll always remember about that game. All right. First thing was, and let me just give you some details about the game a little bit, okay? So in the second half, we're ahead like seven to nothing. And Chris Griffin did pick off a pass and run it back for a touchdown. So great, great block by Mark Harrison, got him in the end zone. So, you know, we're ahead like 14 to nothing or whatever it is. So we get the fourth quarter and Randall Mallard busts a run. We're ahead 20 to nothing. So we messed up a punt and gave them a safety. And then, so there's only four or five minutes left to game. And here's one of the things I remember. Neil is fourth down. They decide for some reason they go punt. They're punting. And Dow Altman has decided that, I don't think he decided he was going to block the punt. I think he decided he was going to hit the punter. (laughs) And I was sitting kind of on the first or second row because I got there kind of late. And this happened right in front of me. And he layweighed the Neil punter. And I don't even think he put his arms up to try to block the ball. He just hit him. The definition these days of targeting, you know, would be things like uh, you hit someone in the head and neck area. You, you launched. This was a defenseless person. You lowered your head and hit him. Dow Altman did all four of those things <laughs> when he hit the punter. I'm going to try to get the video on Facebook for everybody, but when he hits him, the cheerleaders are standing right over there. And when he hit the punter, one of our cheerleaders kind of like put her hands over her face like, oh, my gosh, you know, because yeah. it was a it was a tremendous lick. You think it, do you think it bothered Dow later that night that he did that? I, I I don't think so, because think so to be honest, down through the years, we've had really good relationship with Neil, like during the game, the sportsmanship and everything was pretty good, except during the Dow Altman era. <laughs> and it kind of slid off the cracker just a little bit during the Dow Altman era. So after this happened, they penalized us 30 yards. So I don't know if that was... 30 yards because it was the worst roughing the kicker penalty the referee had ever seen, and he thought we deserved 30 yards. Or if they gave us 15 yards and Coach Cotton argued the call, (laughs) which would be like him. I I love to think about those scenarios being true. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, I've seen the clip. I hope you get it posted. Dow could have been arrested for felony assault. (laughs) 
Yes. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was brutal. You know, you talked a, 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 a couple of things, the tearaway jerseys, and this, these were the terrible football teams that I grew up watching. And I certainly understand watching them as a 10 and a 12 year old, as opposed to watch them as a 35 or 40 year old, you're going to understand things a little differently. But those tearaway jerseys, the pieces of them that were on the field after the game, those were trophies to a kid. Yeah, I remember being yeah. out there with our, my buddies. We're running around trying to get pieces of it. And if you ever got a piece that had some of the number on it, you really had something. I mean, that, that was big stuff back then. I love the tearaway jerseys. And going back to Dal Altman, and I, I don't know where he would rank amongst uh, the, the great linebackers at T.R. Miller. I have my opinion. Everybody's going to have theirs. He was certainly unique from a personality character standpoint. And probably the player in most recent memory that I would compare to him, and he was a little milder, and he's probably never been called mild in his life, was uh, Kyle Davis. You know, Kyle Davis was oh, a yeah. big, athlete, big athletic kid. Yeah. liked the physicality of football. Sometimes he didn't hear the whistle uh, as, as well as others out there. Uh, and I don't think Dow ever heard a whistle. But uh, you're talking about the same kind of body, the same kind of frame in a time when players weren't as big as they are now. So that can kind of give you something to parallel just a little bit if you didn't have the opportunity to watch Dow. But he was certainly – a unique character, and he's one of the legends of T.R. Miller High School, not from only his own performance, uh, 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 his own field performance, but some of the other stuff that kind of came along <laughs> with just having him around. My goodness. Yeah, well, you know, um, so so as I finish up the Neil game, well, my memories that night was, oh, we had, we're ahead 20 to 9. They went down and scored after we gave them 30 yards. They go down and score. And so we've got the ball, and all we've got to do is make a couple first downs, the game's going to be over, right? So we're down to just like, it couldn't be more than 30 seconds left in the game. And we have the ball down there about midfield somewhere. And we decide that we're going to hand the ball off to Reggie Brown. And we're going to let him throw the ball back to Walter Lewis, who's going to circle around the end and throw that thing back. Okay, now there's like 30 seconds left in the game. We have the game won. <laughs> but apparently we decided that we needed one more touchdown against Neil. And so we, we run this play, and, and, of course, Neil intercepts it. So they tackle him immediately. Fine, you know, uh, you know, we'll stop them, their chances. They couldn't throw it very good. By the way, they, couldn't, they could throw it a little bit, but their quarterback that night took a beating. Because every time he tried to throw a pass, Reggie Brown and Dow Altman, who stunted most of the time, Dow Altman and, and Mark Harrison were eating him up. So anyway, they come down. He decides he's going to throw a pass out in the flat on the last play of the game. He does. Scott Huff intercepts it. He starts running down the Miller sideline. So somebody bumps him and he goes out of bounds. And about three yards out of bounds, Horace Bradley – who was Neil's best player, who who played over at Livingston, was a great player. And he was pretty good size. He was well over 200 pounds. He hit Scott Huff about three or four yards out of bounds over there, up against the chain link fence on what is the last play of the game. It took just a little while to get control of everything so we could <laughs> all get on a bus and go home. But it turned out okay. Yeah, and so it was just one of those one of those Miller Neal games that yeah could could have gotten away a little bit, but everybody got their money's worth that night. The nineteen seventy seven team gave you your money's worth every time they played. You know, I had I, I'd held out a little bit of hope, uh, and, it, and it was slim. 
the, the 1987 team was going to be somewhere on this list. That was my senior season. I, I'll be the first to tell you, we weren't that good, but I, I thought that we may get on it. But after seeing where 73 is ranked and 77 is ranked, I know now that we're out. Now, I haven't seen the list, but we're out. We're out. We're a football team. Great. Yeah. All these teams have been great. Yeah. The last thing about the 77 team, they, they were an emotional football team. And and they could play incredibly high at times. But the bad thing about emotional teams, sometimes when things go wrong, <laughs> they'd go yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it's just part of, the, of being emotional. But that's the way that's the way he coached that that team. And um, uh, Guy Sawyer, Jim Hart, and Donnie Roth were the other three coaches. Golly, what a great team! Yeah. All right, David, we are ready for the number twenty-one team. And the number 21 T.R. Miller team of all time is the 1940 T.R. Miller Tigers. Now, 1940. The 1940s was a great decade. The 1940s, there were seven Miller teams that won seven games or more. This was the first one. And the 1940 team was coached by Ben McLeod. Coach McLeod, um, an outstanding coach, had come from the University of Alabama, right out of the University of Alabama, he was hired. And he came in 1937. So this was his fourth Miller team. And uh, the 39 team had been a really good football team. The 1940 team has got everyone but three people coming back. This team lost to Atmore, and Atmore went 8-1 and one that year. They lost to Atmore 14-7 to seven and tied Greenville who won seven games. They went 7-1-1. One one. They tied Greenville. How about this, David? Zero to zero. So we had ties, of course, in those days because there was no reason to play it off, really. Okay, I'm going to read you a stat now, all right, that you probably haven't heard often. They gave up 14 points in nine games. The 1940 Miller Tigers had eight shutouts. This was a defensive area of football. But when you shut out eight people, you're going to win a lot of games. <laughs> so, yes, yes, yes. So yes. check this out. The scoring average, they averaged 27.1 points per game in a defensive era. And they gave up 1.6 points per game. Defense, people won with defense. The best teams had great defenses. And just to give you an idea here, the 1939 Miller team won seven games. They gave up 33 points. They didn't give up more than seven in all 10 games. So the 40 team, we just said, gave up 14 points. The 1941 team gave up seven points. If you do the math, we gave up 54 points in three seasons. I said that again. We gave up 54 points in three seasons. Wow. 39, 40, and 41. Uh, and, And check this stat out. In 25 games from the beginning of 1939 to the early part of 1942, T.R. Miller had 25 games, and in those 25 games, they gave up double-digit points one time. That was the 14 points to Atmore. Wow. Wow. So, you think there were some people who didn't want to play us? I'd gotten us off the schedule. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why, again, they're playing nine games. 
or whatever, because they can't get games sometimes. Because and and people knew this was coming. The thirty-nine team was outstanding, and most of those guys, most of those guys, sophomores and juniors, some of the best players were sophomores. So they they knew it was coming. A couple of things about the about this football team. They used the single wing or kind of Notre Dame box offense. In other words, they're snapping the ball back there. We can talk about that in a few minutes. They played in Rotary Field. The lights had been put on Rotary Field in 1939. So this is the second season that Miller played home night games. We had a large number of players that, that year. We had 30 players. And the reason we got 30 players, they know we're going to win. All yeah. right. They knew we yeah. were going to win. Had only lost three linemen from the year before. The entire backfield not only returned, it was the same backfield that had been playing for two seasons already. Two, and two of the three linemen that they lost were ends, and they replaced uh, Bob and Hamp Jernigan, who are brothers, took the place of the ends. Great one-two backfield punch, Hosey Rogers and W.J. Mump. Hosey Rogers, six foot two, 190 pounds. Okay, and could run. Unheard of in those days, right? Unheard of. Unheard of. That'd be big today. Oh, yeah. Six foot two and 190 pounds. He could run. The other other part of the one-two punch was W.J. Monk, who had the quickness and the speed and the athletic ability. These two guys are touching the ball just about all the time. We were still called the Millers back then. We, we were known, even though we were T.R. Miller High School, a lot of times we were referred to as Bruton, and they called us the Bruton Millers. And, and okay, see, I didn't, know, I didn't know that. I've seen pictures with with uniforms that said the Millers, or, or, or Millers across it, and I, I didn't know that's what we were we were referred to. Yeah. Okay. What, okay. Interesting. What What that really came from is in those days we had a minor league baseball team. All right. right that's what I thought, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they were their their nickname was the Millers. I'm just right. assuming that at some point in time that. Early T.R. Miller Mill Company had been instrumental in helping secure the team, pay for this or whatever. We were known as the Bruton Millers. So, our high school team, once we became T.R. Miller High School, we were still referred to a lot of time as Bruton. People would put Bruton on the schedule, kind of like instead of Escambia County High School, people put Atmore on there. Yeah, but, yeah. But they would do that, and people called us the Millers. Our own newspapers and all called us the Millers. Other thing in those days, you played at eight o'clock. They did that so people could get yeah. to the games. Yeah. Yeah. The first game was that year was on September the 27th. We didn't start school till normally a week or 10 days after Labor Day. The first game was usually played somewhere close to the end of September in those, those days. Rogers, Monk, all outstanding players. We also had a back named Marcus Jordan. And Marcus Jordan um, was a senior that year. And David, he had been playing regularly since he was in the seventh grade. So this was his wow. sixth year of playing football at, for, for, for T.R. Miller. So obviously we rolled, rolled up some scores. The reserves got to play a lot in preparing for the next year. In the 0-0 zero to zero tie with Greenville, W.J. Monk, who was the place kicker, missed a 37-yard field goal on the last play of the game that was described as as missing by inches. And that was that's not a chip shot in any era. No. A 37-yarder, that's a pretty good kick for a high school, you know, especially before the, the specialist, the quote specialist came along. That's a pretty good kick. Yeah. 
We lost 14 to 7 to Atmore, who had a tremendous team. Red Vickery was Atmore's big deal. He was a 195 pound back. We had some problems with him. Uh, he broke a 43 yard run to actually, uh, as the deciding run um, in the second half. Our score came when Monk was back to punt. They snapped it to him. He started to kick. A couple of guys from Atmore had broken through. They were going to block the ball. He pulled it down and ran it sixty yards for a touchdown. Ouch. So th that's just kind of the kind of kind of who he was. Now let me give you some of the names of some of these guys played. The center was a guy named U. L. Dixon. The ends were Hamp and Bob Jernigan. The guards were Kirkland Maddox and Yancey Jernigan. Yancey Jernigan. Oh yeah. Uh, was a three-year starter. The tackles were Joe Wood. No, no. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Would that Yancey Jernigan have been my Yancey Jernigan's granddaddy or daddy? Father. Yes, that was his okay. dad. Okay. That okay. was his dad. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, Cecil Jones was a senior tackle. He had started for three years. Joe Wood was the other tackle. Let me let me read you some of the subs here. This is some of the linemen that they had. And one thing they had that year is they had linemen. Nobody at that time had a school our size had as many linemen as we had at that time. And here's some of the linemen that were subs. Uh, Cooter McArthur, John Oden Luttrell, who was an outstanding team, outstanding player the next year in 41. Uh, Bob Miller, Lloyd Smith, Aubrey Langham, and Bruce Long. So Bruce actually started his junior year as a sub and uh, okay. obviously, obviously played a lot, was a great player the next year, went on and had a great career uh, playing at, at Troy. And uh, another thing we found out that year is that uh, Rogers, some point in time, about mid-season or so, got an infected toe, which it, which really bothered him the rest of the year. And he didn't carry the ball that much. Monk carried the the weight of the of, of the offense that year for the 1940 Miller Tigers. And uh so he was he was tremendous. In the last game against Monroeville, WJ Monk had four touchdowns. You know, one of the things that that I that I love about our community and our school is the uh, is the traditional names that, that have come through here and trying to tie some of these together. Even though we were young kids, a lot of people in my era we knew who Obed Monk was. We knew, uh, we knew Mr. Obed Monk was. Is this going to be a relation? Yes, this W. J. was uh, Obed's younger brother. Okay. So Obed had graduated. Actually, Obed had was a player in the late thirties. Okay. And had and had graduated, and uh, it, by this time in the forties, late Mr. Obed was already in the service. Uh, w. J. Monk was um, at some point in time. We'll we'll do some some things on some of these players and talk a little bit about them. But uh, uh, W. J. Monk was a, a senior in nineteen forty one. Ended up uh, graduating from high school. As soon as he graduated from high school, he joined the service. Ended up overseas. He was a paratrooper, and ended up uh, not only as a paratrooper, but he was, at one point in time, was teaching, I think, some of the English soldiers at paratrooper school. In April of 1945, he was killed in duty uh, right, before oh, the wow. end, right before the end of the wow. war. And so um, th I think he's buried in the Netherlands over there. That just gave me, that just gave me chills. Yeah. That, so that's awesome. Wow. We're, we're talking about one of the, truly, one of the greatest football players to ever play at Miller. He, he punted, kicked, obviously played defense. But he could go. He could. He had the speed and the moves to make things happen. And so, um, you know, 
in the offense they ran, this offense, usually there's two backs lined up the backfield, and they might have a wing over here and tight ends and so forth. The guy was actually the quarterback. By the way, the quarterback was Wink Altman, Dow's dad. And Mr. Wink basically blocked. That's all the quarterback did in this offense. He didn't touch the ball much. Occasionally they'd let him go over and run a quarterback sneak or something, but he didn't touch the ball much. They had two backs in the backfield. They're both in the center guard gaps. So the center could snap it to either one of them. The two backs were Rodgers and Monk. That's a pretty good duo right there. Pretty good duo. You talk about Rodgers. That's another you know traditional name at T.R. Miller. His children, Karen and Becky, went on to be cheerleaders at T.R. Miller. And the son, his name was Sam. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. He played. Yeah, yeah. He he played. Graduated. Uh, he was he was a, a, a running back on the nineteen sixty eight team. Sammy was really good. Yeah, and Hosey, and I think it's worth saying. I mean, Hosey is is well known. Maybe in some cases better known outside of Bruton, Alabama. Is he not for his athletic exploits? Certainly in North Carolina, he ended up playing at the yeah. University of North Carolina, and uh, he originally signed and went to Alabama and played as Alabama as a freshman. He was actually on the varsity team as a freshman because of the war in 1942, they allowed freshmen to be eligible. And he actually was one of the freshmen that was brought up on the Alabama team. But after the uh, the 42 season, he ended up joining the service. When he got out, uh, he decided to uh, stay in North Carolina where he had been stationed up there. They liked that up there. and He and his wife ended up staying up there, and he played for the University of North Carolina. But yeah, we'll 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 see. We'll talk a little bit more about yeah. about Mr. Yeah. Hosey. He was, uh, of course, ended up coming back here and working here in Bruton and uh, with his family here. I used to see him around every once in a while, and uh, you know, uh, and and again, he was a big man. He was, you know, yeah. um, uh, six foot two. He was a big guy to be running the ball back in those days. But uh, we'll we'll do that and uh, and and give a little more info about him in uh, some later on. So the nineteen forty football team was some kind of football team, uh, a precursor to the 1941 team that went undefeated, you know. And so this was this was a, a, a time. And this was a time that, um, you know, what, what what happened here probably in the 1940s, David, is probably a big deal because of the fact that uh, they had the war going on. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you have that many good teams with the war going on? And, you know, yeah. Ben McLeod left after the 41 season, joined the service. You know, what if he had stayed? Because he married a Bruton girl. What yeah. if, what if he had stayed and coached for a number of years and we just you know really don't know you know what would have happened there but um, uh, the nineteen forty team is a great football team. Absolutely, I mean this this list uh, twenty five two twenty one, I mean is star studded, star studded. All these teams is just that's been fun. And of course, I love hearing about some of these teams that I have very little knowledge of. The the the, the teams from the forties would certainly fall in that category. But that's uh that's 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 great stuff, man. I've enjoyed this. Well, um, so uh, let's let's just recap real quick the the number twenty five team of all time, the nineteen fifty one Miller Tigers. The number twenty four team is the nineteen seventy three T R Miller Tigers. The uh, number twenty three team is the two thousand twenty two Tigers that went ten and two last year, and uh, the the number twenty two team was the 1977 Miller team coached by Frank Cott. And then finally, the number 21 team is um, the 1940 Miller Tigers. Hey, I want to 
I want to thank you. And um, the the next, I, I don't think we're going to be able to do 10 at one time, David. But, I don't think so. But, I don't think so. But I'll tell you this, uh, from now on, you know, in the next segment, we're going to try to round up a few players that played on these top 20 teams and talk to some of them a little bit and see what they think about being in the uh, top 25 uh, TRMO football teams of all time. I want to say this before we leave, Coach. The 77 team, obviously, most of them that were seniors on that team graduated in 78, which puts them on the same homecoming cycle as me, which this year is our cycle. So if you come back and you don't like your position on the list, all I did was read what's on the paper. <laughs> That's all I did. I read what was on the paper, and you guys are my heroes, and I can't wait to see you this fall. I hope you all come back. Yeah. Absolutely, but remember, be nice. Be nice. Be nice. This is Terry Miller football. We're celebrating the program and the history. That's right. And later on, if you need to have a say-so, we could probably arrange to get you on the podcast a little bit let you have your say-so. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. That, That'd be great. Right, right. Can't use profanity. No, 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 no. Family-friendly. Yeah, family-friendly. All right, David. David, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Coach, I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks. And uh, we're going to sign off now for a minute with Coach Riggs. 